Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here as ever with Howard Tybal. Pete Wright, how are you today? I'm doing so well, sir. You look good. I like the outfit. I like the hat. Do you like the hat? This yeah. is this is a this is a kind of a I've been doing this for a year. It's now the season of hats, and so I'm trying to feel it out, make sure it's still me. I think it's still me. What I love is every time I see you, you have a different hat. So you're a hat guy. I have. I know, I'm a totally I know a hat get guy. You, get you for Christmas. I'll, I, let me just tell you this. I woke up this morning. I'm wearing a gray sort of uh, uh, running shirt, and and uh, my wife said with the hat, she looks at me and she said, "I think you're. I, are you a member of the Russian mafia right now?" <laughs> she has privilege to say that she used to live in Russia, so I, she, I don't think she the knows. Russian mafia listens to our podcast. Do they? <laughs> There's nobody tracking me. I Listen, hope not. Let's get yeah. on with the topic. I am uh, very excited with this to- about this topic again today because y- you have brought to me, Howard, my people. Uh, we're going to be talking about pushing against business as usual this week. We're talking about building a culture of innovation with a very special guest from the academic side of the house once again. But before we dig in, be sure to head over to tybalink.com, learn more about us and the show. You can subscribe for free. Just click the blue button right there on the website, enter your email address, and you'll be updated with the latest episodes as they hit the internet. And of course, you can join the conversation on Twitter at Howard Tybal or find Tybalink on LinkedIn. Our guest today is Scott Chadwick, Provost and Chief Academic Officer at Xavier University in Cincinnati. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pete. It's good to be here. I can't I can't say Cincinnati without uh, following up with WKRP. Does that get old? Uh, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. There's so much more here than that. Yeah, but let's let you know what I'm gonna bring us into the 20, 20th century or Do 20th that, will you? <laughs> you ready for this? You're calling this? me old? Hey Siri, how are the Cincinnati Bengals doing? There we go. Wow. That's great. And you should ask Siri uh, what the Xavier Benz basketball current ranking is nationally. Oh, here we go. Hey, Siri, what is the Xavier men's basketball doing recently? Xavier is in first place in the Big East Conference. Woo-hoo! Well played, sir. Okay, I think the podcast is over from your perspective. We're, we go. <laughs> we're done. Mike, drop the mic. Somebody drop a mic. Hey, Howard, this was, this was uh, once again, this was your uh, idea to uh, invite Scott to join us. Do you want to give us a little bit of background before we dig in? This particular topic is right up the alley, uh, which, as you know, all institutions are dealing with today. This question of what does it mean to innovate? You know, not innovation for innovation's sake, but consistent with where we're trying to go. And it, and it looks like you're doing some great things at uh, at Xavier. So, you know, I wanted to start just by giving you a chance to talk a little bit about, you know, you when you got there three, four years ago, uh, as you brought some of your desire to to make some changes, what were some of the things you did early on that that sort of set the stage for some of the work you're doing that we're going to talk about today. I think Xavier did a really good job in the search process for my position because they really articulated what the goals of the university are. Mm. And they had a timeline of how long they wanted to be working on these things. So when I got in, there were three primary things that I sought to do. And it's all about understanding what is so we can figure out how to get from here to wherever it is that we're going. The three things I looked at are who are the people who are here and what are their passions? What's our mission and how does it fit with the markets that we work in? And third, what are our organizational capacities and our organizational constraints? So I spent six to nine months uh, doing listening tours, talking to people individually and collectively, cross-functionally, uh, 
uh, talked to every person on campus across all the divisions, and then shared that back with the president, with the senior executive team, with the university budgeting organization, board members, community members, friends of the university. So we're all talking from the same page. I'm looking at your website, and I assume that this thing had some seeds before you got there, but this came up, this came into being while you were here. This didn't exist before you were you were there as provost. Is that correct? That's correct. It, it came out of my discussions with faculty and staff and administration. And in my early discussions, I knew that we needed to go in one of two areas or both. And one would be something along the lines of a center for innovation. And the other would be a school of professional studies, uh, trying to capture the part of the educational market that we weren't really going after well. So I just referred to it as the fourth unit because we have yeah. three existing colleges. And I, and I said, let's build this fourth unit together. Here's as, my favorite part. Serious play. This is what it says, Pete. Serious play is not an oxymoron. It is the essence of innovation. Yeah, you should come, well, you should come visit uh, where we hold a class in the center we actually call it the failure lab because what we're trying to teach the students is, uh, as a friend of mine says, fail fast, fail cheap. <laughs> fail cheap is the part I haven't heard before. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> How would you guide somebody to get this thing started? Sure. The, the position of provost or even a vice president for academic affairs, uh, people usually assume it has more direct power than it does. Uh, that we can tell people what to do. And in fact, we really can't tell people what to do because the position in the, the office in which we work is really trying to take the president's vision and execute on it. And at the same time, faculty have their teaching and scholarship to do. And we want great freedom for them. And staff are trying to navigate how do they serve the students and how do they fit into the academic enterprise. So the first thing that a person needs to do is understand how that system works and how it works in very nonlinear ways. The second thing is to understand what the domain of innovation is so that he or she could explain it to the president and other senior executives try to figure out what they would lean into and what they would be uncomfortable with. Uh, the third step, I think, is then to go out and find faculty and staff members who are curious or interested, who have done this work, and bring them together to start practicing it and trying to find out where the, where the edges of the box are. You know, people say, think outside the box. You can't do that if you don't know where the box is. Mm. So you need to find your organizational boundaries to determine which ones are permeable so you can pass through them and which ones are, are fixed, which ones are constraints. And can can you talk a little bit more about the box? What did you, what did you uncover? What, what was the box? Uh, the box occurs both in terms of method and who. So from a methodological point of view, um, we've been working for a while here on what we call the next generation or the next gen teacher scholar model. And we know that students are learning differently and the world is different. We know our product and process is really quite good. So we want to align the work of the faculty to all of those variables. And so it's a faculty led process to try to say, this is how faculty need to work to deliver on the mission, the market, passions, people, capacities, and constraints. When we started that, we weren't doing enough innovation that I could apply innovation techniques on that. So the, the way of shared governance 
and inclusivity felt like a hard constraint. Well, they've been working on it for over a year, year and a half. And what they did on their own was reached out to Dr. Tom Merrill, the gentleman I talked about before that went out to the Stanford D School and said, we need to gather data. We don't have a lot of time. It's really important. Could you use design thinking principles to help us? By them asking that question, it showed that that hard constraint turned into a, a permeable boundary. Mm. The beautiful thing about it was, in part, it worked, and in part, it didn't. And when I met with the faculty leadership and they said, oh, this didn't work, then I said, hey, it's design thinking, small failure. We learned. What are we going to do now? Let's go back. Let's keep going. Where so that, are you was, guys? that was the teachable moment. It's a teachable moment. You know, because if everything's about it has to work, then then you end up having to build models that have to work out of the gate as opposed to using this to show them that is the whole point of this. Mm-hmm. And when they self-reflect on, on what they do as teachers, it is really about h- helping students learn by making mistakes and failures. So th- that's interesting that it that again, that is a counterintuitive idea that most of us know when we hear it, but we don't operate that like that in the course of how we work. You know, so I have, an, I have another question about, you know, you know, as you know, I've been working with Jesuit communities, with schools, the, you know, numbers of them over the years. Uh, what kind of receptivity, because the Jesuit community is a small community. I mean, they all know each other's work. Uh, what are you noticing about how others are looking to to uh, Xavier in in terms of bringing some of these ideas to their schools. Is that is that happening? Oh, absolutely. So there's a conferencing organization called Academic Impressions, and they reached out to us at the beginning of this year and said they're going to put on a conference for how to create a center for innovation on a university campus. Hosted it in Cincinnati, and the people spent a day there. So we had representatives from 41 universities across North America, trying to figure out what it is that we're doing and what of that they could do. Mm. Uh, so that was interesting. And then the, the Jesuit school provosts uh, gather twice a year in October and April. Uh, we share information. Uh, we have uh, speakers on issues that really matter to us. And then we engage in dialogue about that. And we really help each other. And over the last couple of years, we've been focusing a lot on what is innovation? What could we do to help students learn, expand our reach, expand our mission, and be concerned about the market, the financials? And what we've seen are a number of those institutions reach out to us uh, or the group and say, I want to be part of this. Mm. So we, we will have visitors this year from other Jesuit institutions saying, let's see what you're doing. You know, this is even this is an even more positive story than I anticipated hearing this from you. Uh, and I think the only, you know, again, I don't, we could focus on with such a positive story, but I'm, I'm curious about, again, if I'm thinking about it from my school as provost or chief academic officer and want to bring this, or even if I'm on the finance side and I have a passion for this kind of innovation, what are some of the pitfalls that you would suggest to people to pay attention to as as they embark upon something like this? Yeah, one of the issues is uh, the extent to which the organization runs in a linear or a nonlinear fashion. Uh, and well, while, what, is a, what does a linear versus nonlinear fashion mean uh, for, in terms of how they run? 
To the extent that somebody thinks that everything can be planned and it's just a matter of setting a goal and planning it and exerting your will so that you execute and that nothing, if you do it exactly right, nothing can vary that, that's a linear approach to management. Right, right, got I would, it. I would hold categorically that doesn't work. Um, the nonlinear approach is set the goals, set the plans, but then be cognizant of the different variables that are putting pressure on you or creating opportunities and move with the environment, the internal, external environment, um, be adaptive, be inclusive, and move as but fast I, but, as you can. But I'll tell you, Scott, uh, the, the pitfall inherent in that statement is if you don't have somebody at the senior level who embraces that idea, who is more of a linear thinking, linear thinker, uh, it is very hard to get senior level buy-in on this idea. And I think that's that's to me is is part of the inherent pitfall is do you have senior people on your campus who are willing to experiment, right? This is fundamentally treating this work as an experiment. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you know, your introduction into this process, because I I I know how you think and I see how the school was ready for this kind of thinking. Uh I think, you know, in turn, what that means for most schools is to say, do we have the if we do want to build this, do we have the right people in place to support it and also to advocate for it? And, and I'm sure in you traveling the circle of other provosts, other schools, you can see those schools who have that in spades and who others struggle, not because they don't believe in the idea, but because the leaders don't. Uh, sort of embrace that that mindset. Can you? I'm going to ask you a sort of a off the cuff question here. Can you learn this mindset, or do you need to just have it? I think you can learn. I don't think people are born with this. I think that it comes from your experiences over life and how you choose to see the world in which you live. Hmm. And it's about uh, to me, it's about choice and agency. Uh, to to the extent that somebody believes that they can control others' behaviors and ways of thinking to achieve their desired ends, then they're not really open to this. To the extent that somebody says, all control is an illusion, but there are techniques that work. And if I open myself up to the best of others and I give the best of myself, we'll probably do the best that we can. And that's, that's an inherent intention in any bureaucracy of the structure is designed to limit that where the people really want to give. All control is an illusion. You know, that's a <laughs> as as much as that's that rolls off your tongue so easily, there are very few people that I deal with in terms of my work that see control as an illusion. Control is the mechanism for getting things done, right, Pete? Isn't yeah. that? Yeah. You know, it cha it challenges not the people that come on our podcast. No, by of the way. course, no. <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. I, you know, it's it's a fascinating thing. It's making me rethink one of some of the challenges we've had in our own institution and working with other institutions in our community. It challenges the fundamental expectation of competition versus collaboration. That is changing a set. Of, of cultural rules at the institution that, that I think are, are very hardwired. Yeah, and, but at the same time, if you think about how faculty teach, faculty don't try to control. They create a structure and a path, and almost every faculty member I've ever met is adaptive to the students in front of them, and they change the course mm -hmm. as it goes on. Okay, That's innovation. Faculty is inherently are innovative. 
Um, if you think about assessment that the accreditors have asked us to do, and now the market is asking us to do it, and I think it's assessment is a wonderful thing. Formative assessment is about learning from learning as we go forward. Summative assessment is about at the back or at the end looking backwards. Innovation is very similar to formative assessment. Control is summative. So if wait till the end, it didn't work, you know, beat on somebody or reward somebody and let's go do it again. I don't know many people who want to work in those environments anymore. And the, the young generation, young, the younger than us, they surely don't want to work in those types of environments. Correct. But, but you know, these higher ed institutions, no matter whether it's a large private or a small, I'm sorry, a large public or a small private, uh, it is like moving an ocean liner because the amount, to me, the control issue, Scott, has a lot to do with we create these divisions and departmental silos that are intentionally designed to get work done, but we don't have the mechanisms. We're not designed to get the work done in collaboration. We, we, we have to force ourselves to collaborate as opposed, and, and what ends up happening is we reinforce working separately and we don't learn the... We don't learn the value of the people who are offering services and programs on the other side. And this goes, this is faculty to faculty, this is administrators to administrators. The ones that we can see much more easily is the uh, academy administration silo world. But it happens everywhere. And, and breaking that down requires leaders to say, we're going to put, in some sense, your innovation, your, your, your structure here now is a place where people can go and learn the art of collaboration. So I assume this is for students, but it's also for administrators and faculty to learn when you come to this uh, to the center. Oh, absolutely. It's really open to anybody on campus, and it's open to the community, and it's open to our business partner, partners in the, yeah. the startup vertical and healthcare vertical. So, so you know what, you know what uh, the CFOs listening to this are thinking, right? What are they thinking? What, it, what is this cost? What kind yeah. of investment is – because this is a wonderful idea, and these don't get traction often because we are overwhelmed by the idea of this being a, a cost that we can't manage. How, what would you say about that without giving away any specific numbers? But how do you think about investment uh, around this if you are a CFO? Sure. There's a couple of different ways to start this. One is as a startup for organizational change and uh, brand extension, if you will, into whatever verticals that you're going to play in. Uh, uh, the other is as a money-making venture. And if, if a university goes down the road of a money-making venture, then I would strongly suggest that they treat it like a startup mm. uh, or, or however they treat new initiatives fund it appropriately and have the appropriate expectations of when the revenue stream is going to come in strong enough to pay for itself. On the other hand, if it's about organizational change and brand extension, then the expectation for making money would be less. Yes. Uh, it's not quite a loss leader, but in some ways when you're thinking of brand, it is because in Cincinnati, Xavier is now thought of as one of the premier institutions for support of high-tech startups. That's and we great. have 
we have phenomenal institutions. We're not the only one down here, but our willingness to go to where they're at, partner with them, and uh, pivot with them is something that we can do through the center. We can do it quickly. What I think most CFOs want is both of those things. Mm. They want the organizational change. They want the connections outside because they know good things will come from that. And they also want the revenue stream. That's very hard to navigate. You know what? And making that choice is so important, right? To decide what is the end game here? And if it's about raising our brand and this is consistent with our mission, who we are, we need to think about this as an investment and how we're going to fund it versus thinking about this being uh, a mechanism and being so, uh, self-sustaining. And that's a choice. You can't have both. You cannot have both. You might be able to in the long run, but to get this thing started, uh, making that choice is a critical, critical idea. And, and interestingly, just I know that, you know, Pete, we talk about CFOs and uh, I just wanted to reference this as, you know, the business officer. Uh, I recognize that their role is so much broader than being the finance officer, but I'm really trying to frame this because they often are the ones that are looked at by their presidents as can we afford to do something like this? I love it. When people see this, uh, when they look at this, either through our website or your promotion, I am certain everybody goes, we'd want something like this. And in the end, they have to say, where does this fit in our culture? Well, where does it fit and how long does it take us to get there? You know, I was running a 5K with my son uh, over on Thanksgiving and I said, come on, man, you can do it. Slow and steady wins the race. And after a few times of saying that, he looks up and he says, unless you're racing against fast and steady. <laughs> right. I, you know what? So, you know, how long do you did it take you to get the right people trained, to put the right resources in place, to, to start actually seeing a critical mass in, in changing the way you approach some of these complex yeah. problems? From... In the first year that I was here, it was, as I said before, it was a lot about understanding the lay of the land and what was possible. Uh, and so the nudges were given then, and I could tell that the, the people of the university were ready for this. I started actually doing innovation, getting people trained, and applying innovation techniques in my second year. And it was in my, uh, at the end of the third year that we started into the budgeting process. And halfway through the fourth year is when we established the center. Mm, so okay. it, it took well, a while. It, yeah. This is so instructive. This, this is an example of success that people could look at and say, all right, I want all or part of this. Mm -hmm. and, to, and to bring, even if they don't create a center, the concepts behind this live in conversations everywhere I go. So this is really exciting for, for me to see how robust this is. So we will put the links, uh, the link to the, the center. It's XavierInnovation.com. That'll be in the show notes, obviously. Uh, Any place else that you recommend folks would uh, should check out more information about what you're doing, Scott? I think they would learn a lot if they went to our School of Arts and Innovation. Uh, so if they, if I think it's www.xavier.edu slash SAI. What are they going to learn there? So what we did was we combined all of the arts. Uh, but when I got here, for example, theater was a student club. We brought that into the academic side of the house, created degrees. We're working with another local university to create a joint degree uh, in uh, an applied music uh, discipline. We brought in the digital media, sculpture, painting, performance art, put them in one place, and then 
embedded innovation into it. So the innovation minor is coming out of the School of Arts and Innovation, which is in the College of Arts and Sciences. Mm. And the human-centered making degree is coming out of the School of Arts and Innovation in the College of Arts and Sciences. So when people say you can't do innovation or you can't do user exchange, user experience, uh, user interface, user experience, uh, if you don't have an engineering school, I'd say, sure you can. Yeah. You just have to have the people who want to do it and then build a structure around them. We used exactly. to we used to joke that our College of Arts uh, of Arts and Sciences was the College of Arts and Crafts because you know anybody who wasn't in that school always felt like their degree was of more substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and That's I just right. love hearing this. You know, it goes right along with the uh, the the sort of STEM to STEAM transition. You know, how can we mm-hmm. introduce more of this innovation thinking, design thinking? Could you imagine, process. Pete, if we were back in college right now, what a different world it would be? I would be so good at college right now. I would yeah, be so me good. Too. Ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me too. You had asked a question earlier about uh, the executives and, and linear and nonlinear. And as you were talking, I was thinking, there's a, I think there's a precursor to this that the executives could do. And it, it, it comes from lean engineering or lean manufacturing. It's trying to understand all the upstream and downstream effects. So if you're a systems thinker, you're going to see the same thing. And where lean is all about trying to get the waste out of the system, mm-hmm. uh, executives at a university, I think, nowadays really have to understand all the other parts of the university. And that's not how most people are hired. So most people say, I'm going to run my shop, you run your shop, and then we'll come together and collaborate. But you really can't integrate if you don't know what their problems and opportunities are. And the Center for Innovation here has really helped us to see that. And we work really hard to try to build that interstitial tissue that holds us together as opposed to saying, I'm just going to do mine and I'll come together with you in some committee. Fantastic. It's it's hard work. It's challenging, but it's really worthwhile. Oh, I I can't wait to come visit Scott. You know, oh, I'd love I'm, to have you here. You know, I'm I'm getting on the train when we when we get off the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you at sun, midnight. The sun shines a lot in Cincinnati, so you might want to borrow one of Pete's hats. Okay, that's good. not funny because it's pouring rain right now. It's just not very nice. Yeah, you're oh, always but you're normally <laughs> beautiful where you are. Yeah. So stop complaining. This has been a great conversation. Uh, Scott Chadwick, uh, Provost, Chief Academic Officer at Xavier University in Cincinnati. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Fantastic. Great conversation. On behalf of Scott Chadwick, Xavier, and Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel, Inc.